This recording was made on Goringai Country, Northern Beaches, New South Wales. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. And... That's got me all excited now. <laughs> yes. The sound gourd is live. We're both back. You and I keep doing this. Crazy. Crazy that we're both just persisting in this weird, like, well, it's a friendship by now, isn't it? It's this, like, because it's, I mean, like, I don't know who you are, future roles, because, I, you, you know, you only exist in my imagination at this point. But the thing is, you're able to have this, like, weird friendship with your past self. Maybe it's not a friendship, though. Maybe I'm listening back to this in 80 years' time or, like, I don't know, having the transcript embedded in my brain via the whatever neural link I've been fucking plugged into. <laughs> Maybe I don't like any of it. Maybe I'm just like, this guy sucks. Cannot believe anyone was listening. Hey, spoiler alert, future roles that you've already forgotten in your senility. Um, Not many people were listening. So cool. So I guess this leads me into an extra special thank you to you as well. Like, think about the volume of little play buttons on the internet that you could have hit instead of this, <laughs> but but you chose this. So cool. Thank you. And, you know... Real nice. So good. <laughs> if you're new here, um, slash you just, like, for some reason missed um, the breaking news on CNN and stuff from my last episode, when I accidentally discovered this new, tra now trademarked, in my brain anyway, technology called the sound gourd. And it's my soundboard, which stemmed from clips from Gordon Ramsay and has now expanded, guys, because it, a lot of people out there make interesting noises, <laughs> basically. I was going to say, say interesting things. I think it's more than that because it's not just the words. It's the way people... The way people communicate, I guess, fully. Like, not just the choice of words, but... Like, you know, when you can tell when you're being disrespected by somebody in a foreign language, that's what I'm talking about, where you just, you feel there's so much communication past the words, so much so that now you and I are sitting here or you're running or cleaning or um, patting your dog or whatever it is you're doing and we get to enjoy it together. Listen to this clip that I remembered last night in a fit of excitement of, oh my God, that's the ultimate soundboard clip is this news anchor getting rejected live um, on air because of some seemingly ad hoc invitation. It's too, it's so good. Yeah, I just, I died. Friday, but Tony, the good news is nice and sunny for the weekend. Wait for you it. come around for a barbie. No, thanks. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, my God. <laughs> Every time. It's so vicious. And listen to that laughter. Hey, listen to it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's all I need. Oh, poor bloke. Poor bl dude. But like, what were you thinking, man? What were you thinking? You're like the teleprompter's ending soon. I have to speak for myself for two seconds. What am I gonna say? Oh, I'll let my penis do my thinking. <laughs> Basically, something to that effect, right? Because otherwise, dude, what, really, or hopefully, actually. Hopefully that news anchor just like it was water off a duck's back. He's just like, whatever, whatever weather chick, you know, your job is what seemingly far more disposable than mine as soon as you turn 27 and you're too old to do the job. So, you know, 
I'm here. I've been here for I've been here for seven years, love. And you know how I got the job? The bloke before me shagged the weather girl. So I don't even want that. That was just me pretending to be nice to you. And you just rejected me because of your own ego on live television. Maybe it went like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm reading into this. But either way, no matter which ver- like version that I just said you choose that to have actually been, it's objectively very funny to listen to a guy make that noise. Okay. Uh, that's all our news from that. oh so good it's just so good there's gonna be so many applications for this i guess mainly for myself okay (laughs) god it's funny but it's the gasp that he makes where he just hold on i think i can isolate it Oh my lord. <laughs> uh, how can you be bored out there? Seriously, I was having this chat with someone today. How the f- are you bored? How are you- if you're bored, you are not paying attention, dude. You are not. You're choosing not to as well, pretending that you've exhausted all the avenues of your attention span that the world in 2021 has to offer you. And you're like, yeah, none of it's good enough to hold my attention. I'm bored as shit. I'm sorry. I don't buy any. I don't buy. I don't buy that from anyone. That's bollocks. Especially when you can just build your own sound gourd. Like I'm being pretty generous with the patent. Like I obviously got approached pretty quickly by um a few IP companies suggesting that I, I um, obviously formalize um, the brilliance of the sound gourd and suggest that, you know, there might be scope for licensees in the future. I'm going to get, you know, obviously inundated with suggestions and I guess like begging to use my technology. So um, to get on top of it. So if that's you, I mean, feel free, hit me up personally and we can bypass all the nonsense because who the f- who, who wants to deal with anyone else in the middle for something that you and I are trying to communicate to one another? Wow, what a statement to actually summarize this like seven minutes of both of our lives. Because I was kind of like, kind of taking the piss about this just being for me and my future self. Because I'm I, like, I know, I know this is the internet and everything. <laughs> I know that anyone can tune in. And so if that's the case, then... I don't want anyone between you and I getting to know each other. And that includes myself. <laughs> it includes it includes every filter that I might put in front of my cerebellum. I don't want any of that stuff getting in the way. Listen to how hard I'm slapping. I just heard that on the microphone, listening to me slap my own knee in such vigorous agreement with myself, not letting my future other self get in the way of talking to the other future self. Um, Okay, I do have some stuff to chat about Some really important stuff, actually Which is um, what started out, I guess As a seemingly innocuous interaction uh, At the supermarket yesterday You're about to jump into my brain and, and, And just understand the... Okay, the reason that I can't be bored because there is just an endless depth of analysis to every single moment of your life, pretty much, Roland. Okay, so like how how can you check out and pretend that you've gathered up all the information there is to know about a certain moment of your life and pretend that there's nothing more to learn? There's nothing more to experience. You can't. And so basically, I'm standing, I'm standing in Woolies and... 
Far out, man. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a trip walking into a supermarket, isn't it? I've referenced it as a consumption church on um on this podcast before, which especially if you do it after. Uh, 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 nice rolls after sunset, <laughs> especially if you do it after sunset, right? And you walk in, and you literally you're literally standing in the most alien habitat you as an animal could ever find itself in. Surrounded on all six sides, as in the roof and the floor as well, by completely foreign synthetic materials. And you're staring, like imagine, I guess like you just give, what, Rolls give a monkey a chip chip wrapper, a chip bag, and just watch it play with it. And that's basically, like, that's us. I mean, that's the level of nativity that we have to that particular material, insofar as it only existing along our evolutionary timeline for the last three decades. But you're standing in this place that is lit up like the Shanghai Grand Prix circuit. And that's pretty much how I feel when I go to the supermarket is like a, is like an F1 driver. And yes, this might be because I've been watching a lot of Drive to Survive, but also because it's the same thing. Okay, it pretty much is. That level of light, navigating other people, four wheels on the trolley, you know, a pit crew waiting for, it's all the same. It's all the same. And so it's an intense experience. And anyway, I've found my end to it at the self-serve checkout because I do that because by the end of it, I just, I, I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm drained. I'm drained. I just want to get out and, and, and also pack my bag correctly. So I just, <laughs> I use the self-service ones and whatever, and I'm scanning my shit through. And then I got to this bunch of pretty sad looking kale and I'm like, I picked that up because it was on special. I zapped it, comes up with a non-special, more expensive than I remember price. Okay, very important detail. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought to myself, okay, this is a matter of a dollar fifty. That's a lie. I think it might have only been fifty cents. This is a matter of a very small amount of money relative to my total purchase. It's also very busy in here. <laughs> I want to go. Other people want to use my robot. Um, should I just cop this? Should I just wear it? Even though that's not nothing, you know? Maybe it is nothing because a lot of people pay it to not use a keep cup. Um, but I don't know. I was just like, it's just on the borderline of... Not nothing enough. And then as soon as my brain entertained the idea of actually saying something to um, the attendant, the, who's like clearly the most stressed out, power tripped <laughs> human of all time, some of them, um, if they're not lovely old ladies, um, do I want to really get them involved <laughs> or should I just wear it? Should I just wear it? Uh, as soon as I thought to myself, actually, no, I'm not going to wear this. I got within... a tenths of a millisecond. Remember, this is the Grand Prix. Um, time matters. This is all happening very fast. I just thought, no, no way am I just going <laughs> to suddenly accidentally contribute a little bit more money to this giant corporation that is controlling Australia's food supply. Do I really? No, I don't get many opportunities to dig my heels in and push back against that Goliath. Now's my chance. For some reason, I decided. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so I've got to the end of scanning everything and I'm looking at it on the screen thinking like, am I really, should I really do this? I look back and I see like every, like what, 10 or 15 people in the queue to use 
these robots and all of them are staring hard, doing the thing that we've talked long and hard about, which is that if you're not smiling, you're glaring at somebody. And there's no better demonstration of that than the self-service checkouts at supermarkets, um, glaring at everyone for using the robot that they desperately need to use so they can go home, cook their soup, snuggle their dog and give thanks for their good fortune of life and everything. I'm pretty sure that's what most people go home and do. Um, and I turn back and I'm like, no, nah, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to say something. This is on principle, unacceptable. <laughs> and that's only after talking to myself at length, again, across milliseconds um, of time here, but talking to myself at length about reasons I should and should not do this. <laughs> and then trying to tell myself like, just fucking just wear it, you know, just wear it. There's a lot of people that are waiting, you know, it's not that much money compared to the whole purchase you're making. You want to get out of here. This has been a traumatic Grand Prix. Can't, you know, can't wait, but also really fear for the next one. Um, the next time I visit the supermarket and, and I hope that the pit crew is on point and everything. Um, I should just wear it. I should just wear it. And every time I did that, I've just got Gordon in my head. That's not good enough excuse, Nick. Rolls. You know, and and then so anyway, I'm digging my heels in, and I'm like, no, I'm going to say something. I I like turned around. I'm ignoring all the glaring faces, and and I summoned <laughs> with my eyebrows the attendant. You know how like some cultures summon people with their mouths, and they go like, oh, you, you can't see what I just did, <laughs> but they like kiss in the in the direction of whatever they're gesticulating and like move their like mouths around and shit <laughs> um australians i guess may, mainly use our eyebrows um but anyway i did maybe i just maybe mostly use my eyebrows so i summoned the attendant with my eyebrows and said hey i'm so sorry to do this but um this sad looking bunch of kale was on special i thought and it hasn't come up on special on the screen and immediately attitude immediately <laughs> attitude of like like borderline so much communicating with eyebrows because hers go straight up but not in like a oh like surprised and earnest and let me help you sir with with this grievous um miscarriage of capital justice here um <laughs> no it was like eyebrows up are you fucking serious mate <laughs> i felt so judged and so what do i do Dig my heels in even more. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm serious. Sorry. Um, she didn't actually say, um, are you serious? She was like, oh, oh, right. Um, right. And sort of screwing up her face like that can't possibly be the reality here, but I'll pretend to um, sympathetically investigate it for you, sir. Um, and, and I'm like, yeah, um, I picked it up because it was the one of a couple left and there was a yellow tag that said $3. And... What I was, I'm wondering like what I was expecting, <laughs> but I think I was expecting her to have some secret code of like enter in. And um, I guess I'm expecting her to know the full catalog of a consumption church with 20,000 plus items in it on her one of three after school shift. No, not after school. She wasn't that young. One of her, one of three shifts a week. Um, and maybe that was an unreasonable expectation of mine, whether I realized it or not. But I, I don't know. I sort of thought like maybe this might have already happened tonight. And she's like, oh, another one. Yeah, something's going wrong with the kale tag. So she goes, oh, uh, I'll have to go check on that for you. 
And immediately I'm panicking. Immediately, right at that moment, that was like going off a jump on your bike. And the, the second you leave the lip, you know whether you're fucked or not. <laughs> you know whether you're in for carnage or success. And straight away, I saw carnage. I was like, oh, oh, oh. The momentum has suddenly shifted in this interaction. And not only that, she's like, I have to go get Melanie. And so she, and everyone can hear this guys. Cause you know how no one talks to each other anymore and no one can actually manage the self-service robot without, with earbuds in, sorry. And so the only place you find people paying attention and not speaking to each other, the line at the self-service checkout. So they've heard everything <laughs> after I've stared them all down. <laughs> and anyway, Melanie's involved now. And so then Melanie comes and she's maybe 20 years senior of this incredulous um, young lady who initially helped me. Um, now I've got two high-vis vests helping me at the COVID safe limited number of self-service robots in front of about 15 people. And Melanie <laughs> says to me, oh yeah, that's the sale price. And just fully staunches me. And suddenly I'm, I think she knew, she must've known that I would be panicking from the increasing gravity of this situation and then just capitalize. And it's like, she's seen me stumble. I'm sort of flailing against the wall of the octagon and someone's like, oh, oh, now's my shot. And so she just goes straight for the kill and she's like, yeah, it's $4. And she knows that everyone is watching this interaction too. <laughs> it's so, get you realizing, are you realizing what I'm being suddenly confronted with in a supposedly boring everyday experience at the supermarket? No, it's a rich experience of life at the consumption church because she's staunched me into then digging my heels in even further and going, oh, I'm pretty sure it's $3. And I know it was, Melanie, um, but am I going to waste every, sorry, waste, spend, I mean, it's a waste to them, but am I going to spend everybody's time getting to the bottom of a dollar and risk that I really might have mistakenly thought it was $3. I can't even say it because I know I was right and I know it was $3, but she's like, yeah, it's four bucks. And suddenly my panic just overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, okay. Thanks, Melanie. Sorry for troubling you. I've had one of those days, I suppose. My brain's a bit all over the place, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Some fucking fully platitudinous conversation that means nothing to either of us. But basically, I'm just groveling, trying to end the situation for me and Melanie, the 15 people waiting, the other cashiers watching, and I guess Stephanie or whoever it was who I initially summoned with my eyebrows. I just want to end it for all of us. And then I go to pay the noise of the consumption church has kind of come back because that's what happens when you pay attention in life. You realize, oh, that's right. The movies are based on life because my life feels like a movie right now because while all this is happening, silence. And the supermarket's kind of a noisy place, <laughs> but it's fully silent when I was in that situation. And so suddenly, just like the movies, the noise comes back on, everyone goes back to it. And I look down at the screen. What do I realize? That next to the kale... There is no little specials like, ta like, hey, this item's on special or whatever that icon is, is meant to be to indicate on, on the screen, on your receipt, that this is a sale. Not there. Absent. Proof. Undeniable, irrefutable proof that I was right. And did I 
do anything about it? What do you think? Of course I didn't. Of course I didn't. I was exhausted by that point. I had just done 60 laps with the best drivers in Balgala, all right? <laughs> and and I, I was spent, man. I was exhausted. And I just thought, no, I, I need to go. I need to end this. I would pay this money, this difference, this $1.50 or whatever negligible supposedly amount of money this is. I would pay it 60 times over just to end the experience. So I paid it and I left. And then... I came in here and told you guys about it. And 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 the fucked up thing is, is I feel so good for it. it. Somehow, like, it's a cathartic thing that I've just announced that to the universe. Every single iteration of future me and future everyone has access to that now. And it's almost like now I can let go of it or something. Wow. That's why it's helpful is because... I listen to myself, not like back to this yet, because I've got another 79 years to go before I think I can stomach doing that. But as I say things out loud, I hear them. <laughs> and I wonder whether that's something I'm going to be proud of as existing until the end of time now. <laughs> that's so arrogant to say the end of time. Um, and I mean, I guess like the answer is probably not yes, but I'm not listening back to find out. Um, but it's arrogant that we think that our shit online will last forever when if some great catastrophe happens and wipes out all of our infrastructure and technology like that stuff is going to go with it there's ne like never to be recovered so where does that go where does all of the energy embedded in i guess that binary code go far out man you and i talk about science don't we we get fucking real some of those checkout like people i was about to say check out chicks but they're not that's like that's what isn't that a misogynist token from the past just like like if, if one of my mates did it, I'd probably say he was a checkout chick. Um, like a guy mate that is, um, probably more willingly than a girl mate, but it's kind of a derogatory way to refer to people in that job. But anyway, a lot of them are on a serious power trip. They're the parking rangers of the supermarket. I mean, like some of them are like, they like treat their job like police officers, like stroll over and just like, you get a problem because one of your, I don't know, lemons isn't weighing correctly or something and you just see, see the red light and you're just like fiddlesticks you know now i have to be involved you know the three dimensions that have all the other people in them and stuff i have to be involved now sucks annoying i had a bloke do that but this guy felt like a wild west sheriff can i i wonder if i can still do that <laughs> I don't know if I imagine half of this stuff, guys, you know, like tumbleweeds and he walks over <laughs> and I'm standing there next to my little red light and self-service robot. And he like, it's like in my memory, he like takes his hat off. Oh, he rocks out a dusty, long, glorious mane of hair. And he like looks me up and down. And then he takes his one index finger, his other hands on his hip, by the way, <laughs> bends down and just peers into my bag. Looks back at me, up and down. Yeah, mate. And flicks the screen. <laughs> you know how the, some of them do that? And just like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and then looks back at me and he's like, you're right, mate. And then just slowly struts off, putting his hat slowly back on his head. And I'm like, I've got my hand up to my forehead. I'm like, who was that guy? <laughs> and my eyes are squinting in the sunlight and the dust. But but that's the memory I have of this guy's power trip of, yeah, you're right, mate. 
with all the authority of a senior constable. <laughs> so funny, so endlessly amusing. I think this is where a lot of my gratitude comes from, is that is that, that this is the level of consistent richness that's available to your observation at any given time. And that really is a message for my future self in case I've forgotten that. Because there is endless, endless, I guess, consumption to be had of ideas and people and life, just like depending on how much you want to see of it. <laughs> and and I don't know if I just have talked myself into um, a straitjacket or not, but we all know what we're here for, guys. It's self-talk. And I don't pretend to be anything other than that. And thinking about real shit, like check out people, you know, I'm getting better. I'm doing, you know what? I was about to say, I'm trying to not use that phrase, check out chicks. But then I remembered my conversation with Damo from the other day. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but it was such a wild conversation. And he told me that thing about, oh, I don't use the word try anymore because when I'm trying to do something, I'm either doing it, successfully doing it, maybe not all the time, but doing it basically or not doing it. And saying the word trying is leaving this invitation for yourself to fail and leaving this safety net that it's okay because you haven't committed to the act of doing to yourself, let alone to the people you talk to. Anyway, I really love that idea. So I don't say check out chicks anymore. I say check out people. And and it's one of those important things that you and I talk about here. And, and, and like... When you're in the consumption church, like, was that avocado perfect or has someone just stood there squeezing it before you and and given it the fake soft spots and, and you don't know whether it's actually good or not and you get home and the thing looks like a green Dalmatian and, and, and you're just like far out, like I'm going to eat it because, you know, Africa and everything. Um, but like, damn it, I thought it was perfect. And it was surrounded by rocks, shepherd rocks and Haas rocks. <laughs> and, and by the way, if you don't know what those references are, um, in Australia, we eat so many avocados that we reference them by species and by we, I mean me. And you know that. And anyway, <laughs> I missed, like we talk about science, don't we? It's so good. It's so good for both of us. I think I got chatting to, um, to a lady in the post office today and she we were talking like well, talking about the weather because what else do you do in a conversation like that um and and she was just going like oh it's so lovely and warm at the moment isn't it and i'm like yeah yeah i know like wow it felt like it was really starting to cool down last week i was really enjoying um the cold mornings and stuff and she's like oh i'm so glad it's gotten warm again and 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 i'm like yeah um yeah. And then she's like, oh, wouldn't it just be nice if it was like this all winter? And 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 I'm like, wouldn't that be alarming? With a smile, that is exactly what I said. And, and she's like, oh, I don't know. I love it. I'd love it. And I just thought this is where, this is where I think the handbrake is on progress with climate change, on genuine sustainability outcomes for this country. I don't know. I just think this might be where this might be like a bottleneck in the, the gateway to awakening to climate change. Oh, fuck. Almost dropped me phone. Um, uh, are all like all these people who aren't directly affected by a natural disaster or something like that, or, or, or whose lives don't depend on the seasons, basically whether who, sorry, sorry, 
People who don't realize their lives depend on the seasons and expect year-round same produce at every consumption church, chapel, and cathedral in the country at any given moment, um, that's sort of most of us, particularly over on the East Coast, where we're not really growing much food in the big cities or like any food in the big cities where we all are. It all comes from outside. So we're so insulated from the effects of climate change that it's actually benefiting people who don't want to be shivering ever, ever, because that would be bad. That would be an animal impulse, um, this really, really cool trigger scenario of your skin communicating with your brain to activate your behavior towards something more positive for your well-being. Um, no, it's not that cool experience of being an animal in the biosphere or anything. No, I don't want to shiver ever. I want my aircon at 23 degrees all the time. And, and I just see it guys, as a barista, you see it so much working pretty much basically outside. If you work in a cafe, you pretty much work outside and seeing these people come out from their offices in the middle of summer wearing jumpers because the aircon's so cold and you're just sweating buckets behind an espresso machine. And then in winter, people coming down in t-shirts and stuff because it's so toasty up in the office. And they're just like, it's always fascinated me seeing this thing at every job I've ever worked and watching it in real time as this numbing effect on people's behavioral impulses and relationship with their animal self. And it's, it's sort of like self-perpetuating and far out. I, it's just like, I feel thankful to not live. I feel like thankful every time I shiver, basically. I love that shit. I love like paying attention to the way my body operates, like, like a Formula One car and adjusts to everything. And it does it automatically. You don't need to order parts from Italy for it. You know, <laughs> you can just, you can just eat some stuff and drink a water. I just think, I don't know. I just want to talk about F1 basically. That's pretty much why uh, it's been half an hour of um, uh, uh, introduction is just to get to drive to survive. Holy shit. Has this show filled uh, a docu soap void? Hey, it is. All right. So many people love Drive to Survive that it's almost, everyone's in denial that it's a reality TV show. And it is. That's like, yes, it's important. We're watching the the motorsport and everything and, and that's all cool. But it's all this like crazy real life character drama. It's really great because the people featuring in it are annoyed that the cameras are there as opposed to relying on the cameras being there because being on a reality TV show is their only talent in life, a.k.a. they are talentless. <laughs> um, watch some TOWIE. Um, I love Big Brother. Um, what I'm saying is Drive to Survive is a reality show and it's just incredible. It's so fucking... I'm addicted to it, man. It's just... It's such a good show. And I know that like... I feel like it's one of these things I heard so much about when it was first out and just didn't pay enough attention and didn't watch it, but I've heard so much about it. And now to watch it, it's just the, 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 the range of voices and characters in this show is so, so cool. Like the German guy who runs the Haas team, this guy is like the most upbeat guy in the entire show, maybe the entire world. And he's just, you know, that's racing. That's racing. You know, bad stuff happen. You have a good day sometime. That's racing. <laughs> And I just love listening to this guy talk. Like it's got every big name under the sun in it. You hear from all the way up to like crazy scenes with Lewis Hamilton and 
he's the most entertaining guy for me is that German principal team manager of the Haas team. That's racing. You know, we lose a lot of money. He crashed the car again today, but that's racing. That's what. That's how it goes. <laughs> and they, and it's just like, dude, you need to be. I think you need to be a bit more cutthroat than this. This dude's just crashed eight multi-million-dollar cars. Hey, yeah, eight of them in the last ten Grand Prix or whatever it was. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he's just having an off day. He's such an amazing driver. It's just that's racing. <laughs> no, it's not, man. That's crashing. It's like, what it is for me is such an impressive marriage, I guess, of man and machine, watching those guys push their bodies so fucking hard and drive the most incredible machines in the entire world. The the synergy between human and technology is just, it's so fascinating to watch. And then you see guys like who I saw on my way to work this morning, riding one of those like monoboard, single wheel, one foot on either side things um, with all the LEDs on it. <laughs> and you, the, I've never seen a guy not wearing a helmet and knee pads and wrist guards riding one of those things and taking it so seriously and trying to look so cool at the same time. It's like the, those things are so funny. And then you compare that to the same animal getting into an F1 car and going 350 kilometers an hour. It's like, it's so funny. The monoboard things, they're, they're amazing, aren't they? Uh, don't you have a neighbor or something who has one? They're so amazing <laughs> because I see they're the kind of person that I see on one of those boards and I want to sit down and I want to talk, dude. Tell me everything. How did you get here? Because <laughs> there's so much, I mean, from so many of them that I observe, there seems to be so much ego and superiority about riding it. And it's like, dude, con- like control that shit with your mind. Okay. And then I might be impressed. But at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm more impressed by a child with a petrol powered RC car. Okay. <laughs> and, and then, you know, that even if we had that, I would never say that, by the way, if I actually did sit down with someone that rides one slash you are someone that rides one and you're currently halfway through a message reaching out to confront me over a live podcast. The answer is yes, by the way, I would love that. Um, I wouldn't say like this in person. This is just sort of my reaction to the level of superiority that, that seems to, um, accompany these machines. And, I know that if you said that to one of those guys with the ego, he'd just like smirk at you and he'd be like, this guy fucking doesn't get it. What a douche. And then both of us are just laughing at each other and we both walk away thinking negative things about each other. You're so cool like that, Rolls, like talking so negatively and stuff. That's a cool thing to do. That um, That's helpful. You know, if you don't have anything nice to say, say everything and say nothing. Real nice. Cool, man. Cool and nice. Real nice. Yeah. Um, what I thought we could do this episode is, well, I guess introduce this episode's, I guess, can we just rename this podcast dumb shit now? Whether it's talking about dumb environmental shit that I've done and keep noticing and want to yak to you about, or whether it's just dumb shit referring to me um, or you for listen. Don't insult your listeners' roles. Yeah. But anyway, this episode's, feature of dumb shit is I guess a little bit more somewhat more complex than transparent recycling bins or balloons or single-use coffee cups no this is what I think is a really dumb thing that we're all doing right now is only talk how do I even say this I need to be able to say it 
It's a podcast. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. It's okay. I'm going to have a crack. Um, the way we talk about energy policy or the way that we talk about waste or the way we talk about fuel or whatever conversation we're having about sustainability is so dominated by what we're using, but they always leave out the opportunity to talk about using less. And it seems like this magic golden time that that is the one message that we should all be having rammed home to ourselves is use less. That is the quickest, simplest way to draw down carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, to draw down electricity bills. Using less is just seemingly never an option. And I just wonder why that is. I, I feel like it must be something to do with not wanting to marginalize people by saying you are not allowed to use X amount of electricity compared to people who have been entitled to it in the past or something like that. But it's just so frustrating. It seems like such an obvious solution to even the single-use coffee cup situation where we're whinging about what different cups are made out of. And, and indeed, the current ones, most of them are made out of much more biodegradable corn-based, cornstarch-based plastics or whatever that stuff is. They're much more sustainable, in inverted commas, than just the standard oil-derived single-use coffee cups of the past, that whole conversation is dominated by what it's made out of and the end of life rather than just saying, hey, we don't actually need this product. Go and get a reusable cup. It's just not proportionally in the conversation. It's just not there. And you can extrapolate the exact same dynamic out to energy policy, whether we're whinging about needing to export and extract more and more gas for our economic security in the future it's never a suggestion to just need a bit less electricity. I don't know. That's that's like that's anyway. That's with this week's uh, experience, I suppose, of dumb shit. Is that's what I've been noticing heaps of. It's really annoying me that we just don't talk about using less. And because it's annoyed me, I, I've I, I've just hey, what have I done? I've assumed you care, <laughs> and um and had a whinge and and. That's it. Now I feel good. <laughs> really? Let's listen to it again. Let's listen to the whole thing. Friday, but Tony, the good news is nice and sunny for the weekend. You should come round for a barbie. Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Grand okay. slam. Yeah, that's all our news from now. Okay. Uh, all of us have a... God, it's so good. Just that gasp, eh? <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> Uh, um, well, I guess like, I guess that's probably enough actually for this. Oh no, there's one more thing. There's one more thing that I really wanted to play for you guys, which is a clip that I found on YouTube from Captain Paul Watson of Sea Shepherd, who is just about the most badass environmentalist on the planet. But it's just him sitting in black and white, staring down the barrel, talking to you. And, and, and he spoke to me, I guess. And um, I'll put a link up if you want to look at it yourself or like share it around because it's one of the most, I realized halfway through, I was like, holy shit, this is one of the gnarliest things I've ever heard. And like, it's not that often that I have that honest realization to myself that something is radically exceeding my prior understanding um, emotionally or otherwise. And this just like blew me away.
guess I guess we could skip the piano. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Sorry, Paul. I've, um, uh, sorry, Paul. Sorry, sorry. In 1975, um, I was with the, the Greenpeace Foundation, and we came up with this idea of how to protect whales, which was to place ourselves between the harpoon and the whale. Such a badass. And uh, we were reading Such a lot a of uh, Gandhi at the time, and we thought that that was all it would take in order to, to protect them. And uh, so in June of 1975, I found myself in a, a small little uh, Zodiac inflatable uh, with Robert Hunter. And uh, behind us was a 150-foot Soviet harpoon vessel bearing down on us at, at full speed and very rough waters. And in, but in front of us were eight magnificent sperm whales that were fleeing for their life. And every time the harpooner tried to get a shot, I would block his harpoon. And we were oh, feeling really oh. good about this until the captain of the whaling vessel came up the catwalk and Chills, uh, he screamed into the Chills. ear of the harpooner, then brought his finger across his throat like that and smiled at us. And that's when I realized Gandhi wasn't going to work for us that day. And a few moments later, there was this incredible explosion. This harpoon flew over our head and slammed into the backside of uh, one of the uh, whales, a female in the pod, and, and she screamed. It was a very woman-like scream. It was like a, you know, a human in pain. And, and she rolled on her side in a, in a fountain of blood. And suddenly, the largest whale in the pod hit the water with his tail and disappeared. He swam right up underneath of us and threw himself out of the water straight at the harpooner to protect his pod. But, but they were waiting for him. And he had another harpoon uh, loaded, an unattached one. And at point blank range, pulled the trigger and that that harpoon struck the whale in the head. That whale screamed and fell back, rolling in incredible agony on the surface. And as he rolled about in his own blood, I, I suddenly caught his eye. He looked straight towards me, and then he dove, and I saw a trail of bloody bubbles coming at us really fast. And then the whale came up out of the water at an angle, so that the next move was to just come forward and just fall down on top of us to crush us. And as that head rose up out of the water, and I looked into this eye, an eye the size of my fist, what I saw in there, changed my life forever because I saw understanding. The whale could have killed us, but I could see his, his muscles move and tense and pull himself back. And I saw his head slide beneath the surface, his eye disappear beneath the water, and, and he died. He could have killed us, and he saved our lives. So personally, I feel indebted to him. But I saw something else in that, in that eye, and it was, it was pity. And, and not for himself, but for us, that we could take life so thoughtlessly, so mercilessly. And for what? Spermaceti oil is what they were after. The Russians use it for high heat resistant oil for machinery. And one of the things that they were building with spermaceti oil was intercontinental ballistic missiles. And I said to myself, ah. here we are, destroying this incredibly intelligent, socially complex, wonderful being, the sentient being, and for what? To make a weapon meant for the mass extermination of human beings. And that's when it struck me, we are insane. And from that moment on, I, I said to myself, I'm not going to do what I do for people. I'm going to do what I do for the whales and for the creatures of the sea. They are our clients. We represent them. And so quite frankly, that puts us above criticism because people can say whatever they want about what we do, but we don't do it for people. We do it oh for God. our clients. Oh my God. Dude, I like. What do you even say? What do you eat? What, I, I hadn't listened to that again since listening to it for the first time, and it was about two weeks ago. And then I'm still like the wobbly mess right now that I was the first time I watched it. Like I don't know how you feel right now. My whole body is just tingled up. So like, 
it's just the most, I just found that the most captivating, breathtaking, not just recount of an experience, but call to arms for Sea Shepherd, for mankind to just decide what, ta- what, like, what version of human are you? Are you the version that is involved in the intercontinental ballistic missiles or are you, are you, are you just representing the talent? Are you just the manager here on behalf of every single living client on earth? Then it's, I don't know, I just found that such a fire up. And I've actually th- thought during that to myself, how can you possibly denounce that, like that story? Because even if you def- defy its credibility or you're some crazy cynic who's like, no, it probably never happened. No, he's probably just, uh, just another charity mate looking for a buck. I reckon that's bullshit. Been watching a bit too much Free Willy. You know, like even if you're thinking that, then you at least have to respect the creativity in coming up with such a powerful story like that, whether it happened or not in your eyes. I happen to believe you could not fabricate that story. Like, how the fuck would you make that up if that didn't really happen? And, but even if it didn't really happen, like, how, how the fuck can you make that up? Amazing, amazing to be able to compose that story, much less to experience it feel activated by it and then still be fighting the same fight over 50 years later, guys. It's He's still doing it. Captain Paul Watson really is one of the most badass human beings on the planet and still fighting this fight. But I love that. I love Say What You Will About Us. We're not here for the humans. Such a badass. Um, Damo and I talked about Seaspiracy as well. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's worth a look, definitely. I can't remember what I even said to Damo, but um, it's definitely, I think I was sort of saying to him that if you're already listening to uh, an environmental slash mental health podcast called Self Talk by Lucky Roland, you're probably pretty far down the road of environmentalism <laughs> to find me um, in this depth of ex- obscurity that we're existing in right now. Um, so it's if you watch Seaspiracy, it won't shock you like it would shock someone who's having a steak or a schnitty seven nights a week at the pub and driving uh, a supercharged V8 um, from the 80s. Um Probably probably won't have the... And maybe that person wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. Somewhere in the middle of that is, I suppose, the target audience of Seaspiracies, much like Cowspiracy, who will just knee-jerk react into an undeniably better trajectory of sustainability or sustainable living. No matter what the criticism of Seaspiracy is, it's undeniably promoting a necessary and urgent behavioral change in a lot of people so kind of hard to fucking argue with at that point in time in my opinion but sea shepherd features quite heavily in it paul watson actually says more badass stuff in that film it's such that i was watching it and i was thinking oh that'd be such a cool thing to play on the podcast uh and then found that crazy whale story what a cool guy and just the real deal and that reminded me actually of a book suggestion that I have for you called Into the Heart of the Sea. And it's the true story that inspired the, I guess, fairy, not fairy tale, but age old story of Moby Dick. Um, Don't know who I just became, but Moby Dick was based on the true events of a whaling ship that left the east coast of North America, sailed all the way down around the Horn of South America, and then up the west coast halfway up the Chilean coast 
and then headed 3,000 kilometers out to sea to a whaling ground that they had heard of. And then, true story, as recounted by the survivors, that they were attacked by two sperm whales. And they were after the very same thing, this spermaceti oil that they were using in fucking paraffin lamps in Boston or something in 1891. But they were after the oil and harpooning these whales left, right and center until one particular rogue whale leapt out of the water twice. So one time landed on the boat, grievously wounded it, and then circled back around and finished the job and stranded these blokes. I think it might've been like 30 blokes or something out at sea. And then there were like four or five survivors three months later and they had eaten all their crewmates um, because that was what they had to do. But that's the true story. Whales are doing that shit out there. And I always think that about the humpback season. Every time I see one of them breaching, I'm just like, they're just trying to get a look at what we're doing. Like, I bet they have fun, but I bet it's more like, like, hey, what are those motherfuckers over there doing? You know? And then they come up again like, oh, it looks like one of them is leasing out a new V8. And they're just like, they know. They know what we're doing. And so I think they're just doing reconnaissance when they do that. And we are like, we are here for them. We're here for every single living being on planet Earth because we're the only ones that can manipulate the habitat. You know, what a responsibility. Crazy. God, I, uh, this is just what an amazing thing self-talk podcast is, right? Like where else do you get the divert? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sales pitch this for you because really what I think is... Um, I'm talking about is being really scatterbrained, but where else would you find this diversity of content? Hey, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but um, I think I do. What I am sure of is I need to go. I need to go. It's been too long and and now it's been long enough. Um, <laughs> what a rude, disrespectful thing to say to the audience listening, um, whether it's me or, or, or somebody else. Sorry, also not because I really do have to go. I have to go. And I guess before I go, uh, I just want to—I just want to remind you. Right now, we've got some issues in here, and unless you're prepared to change, this place has got no chance. Yes, chef. And you've had it all your own fucking way for such a long time. You're right, chef. I have, chef. And it's not going to continue being like that. One thing that has to change instantly—you. Yes, chef. Right? Yes, the sound gourd. And, and <laughs> I watched one the other night where he's like, <laughs> fuck off, dick face. And he's like, don't call me dick face, chef. <laughs> and he's like, you what? What did you say? And he's like, don't call me dick face, chef. <laughs> and you know what Gordon says? What am I supposed to call you when your face looks like a dick? <laughs> yes, Gord. Amazing. Um, I'm going. Thank you very much for listening. As always, sort of can't believe you did. And I already can't wait to see you next time. Okay, peace.